And we're back at you with another episode of Are You a Robot podcast and videocast. This is a series where we are trying to tackle the biggest challenges, the biggest questions around AI ethics and related technologies. The way that we're doing this is by getting some of the best and brightest minds onto this podcast and asking them some pointed questions sometimes and and occasionally I'll give them a few softballs, you know. Can't make it too difficult. Want them to actually enjoy the show. But the goal of that, the goal of this, I should say, is to have a place where we stimulate discussion on these AI ethics and governance topics so we can move the conversation forward, we can drive the conversation and recognize these pieces that are not being talked about but are advancing in our daily lives as AI becomes more and more prevalent. So to stimulate this conversation, to try and find these best practices, we have created a Slack channel and I'll leave a link to that down below in the description if you would like to check it out. I encourage you to come join us, talk to us about some of these ethical issues, this AI governance. And if you have any expertise, please reach out. Let us know what you're doing, what you're working on in the Slack. Last thing I want to mention before I jump into the bio of Paul McDonald is that Ethics Grade is our sponsor. They and they are enabling this whole thing to happen. So I've got to give them a big thank you. It wouldn't be possible to have these incredibly high caliber guests on here and be doing this if it wasn't for their utmost support and incredible help. If you want to know more about what Ethics Grade is doing as an ESG benchmarking firm that is specialized in technology governance, I encourage you to click the link below and find out more about them. All right, let's talk a little bit about our guest on the show today, Paul McDonald. He is one of the first people that I have ever met that works at a think tank, which for me is incredible. I have always wanted to meet someone who works at a think tank, and it looks like I finally got to meet him, albeit over a Zoom call. So if you're wondering which think tank he works at, he's the executive director at Global Digital Foundation, which is a European think tank. You'll see in the talk, we chatted a lot about GDRP and how that affects things when it comes to AI regulation. Previously, he worked as the head of European policy at ITIF, which is perhaps the most well-known and highly renowned US-based think tank in the technology industry. Recently, he published a paper that has to do with making rules around AI. And you'll see that we dive into that quite deep in the conversation today. So without further ado, let's talk with Paul. Are you a robot? Welcome, everyone, to another edition of our Are You a Robot podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down and talking with Paul McDonald. He's the executive director at Global Digital Foundation, a European think tank that is seeking to 
view the challenges that arise with this widespread adoption of technology. Prior to this, he was head of European policy at ITIF, which was the most highly regarded US-based think tank on technology, on, on the technological industry. And he also has quite an extensive history of writing for publications such as Economic Affairs and the Wall Street Journal. We were just talking about this before we hit record, how you've had some run-ins with some very special types of people, Paul. But I'd love for you to just give me a quick version of what exactly you're doing right now at this think tank. Okay, well, we're working on At the moment, we are concentrating very much on artificial intelligence, and um, we're working on uh, two areas at the moment, artificial intelligence and artificial intelligence policy. And I guess uh, I I have a sort of vision about the future of artificial intelligence regulation, which I think uh, I'm trying to steer a course between, you know, being too alarmist about it and being too complacent about it. Um, and I think there are particular problems where we are too alarmist about it, and, and there are dangers to that, and, and there are dangers also of being completely complacent about it. The other thing I'm, the other thing we're working on is um, uh, we're working on a paper on speech and the regulation of speech online, uh. and the particular problems. I, I, and I'd be happy to talk about that if you have time. But the, 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 essentially, the particular problems that arise there are the fact that we have pl- uh, private platforms uh, like Facebook and Google um, who in effect, have become de facto regulators of speech, but there's not that much methodology being applied to how they do it and when they do it. It's a bit capricious. And so there are kind of First Amendment issues um, with regards to speech, um, I think, uh, particularly. Um, and so there are there are issues around that. And it, essentially, my paper explores the sort of origins of the idea of hate speech mm. um, and where that comes from and, and you know, how, how we grapple with it culturally and what 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 the best recommendation for dealing with with what I call hateful speech is interesting on, online online yeah one thing I thought was uh, absolutely fascinating was you you wrote this paper um, not the one that you're speaking of now but the one just before this about you know yeah grappling. AI of course yeah yeah the and how you mentioned the alarmist nature of mm-hmm what we think about with AI and this kind of like, I guess it's been around in pop culture for long enough. We think that, wow, the robots are coming to get us. Once they are smarter than us, they're going to come and just take over the planet. Terminator, yeah. Yeah, Terminator or whatever it may be. There's so many different references to this. And so I, I thought it was really interesting how you brought in this historical context of like what what was it you said the queen was afraid of the sewing machines back yeah there was a loom uh, manufacturers of looms and and she she tried to ban it you know she wanted to ban Mm -hmm. which she did ban it effectively this is the queen's the first and um it was an automation process for for weaving yeah and she wanted to ban that because she she thought it would cost jobs and things like that and there have been lots of other instances well the Um, one that i thought was great and I still remember this almost was when cameras were becoming more widespread, the especially the digital cameras. And it became something I remember at university or college, I would go out and people were taking pictures and then putting them onto Facebook. And 
I remember people still would say this idea, and it's, it's I guess, left over from what you speak about in your paper, which is when someone takes a picture of you, they like steal a piece of your soul. Yeah, that was a sort of a, yeah, I made that comment, I remember it in a paper. I don't know if I mentioned it, maybe I did mention it in the you iPaper. You talked about Kodak and how right. people were that's afraid right. of that. That's right, that's right. So Kodak in, in the 1880s, 1890s, so this is like 100 and what? 30 years ago, 130 years ago, uh, introduced the, 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 the sort of instant camera. And it immediately caused a moral panic because people were going around photographing people without their permission. Mm -hmm. And so there is a sense in which when, when you have a new technology like this, especially a kind of a, a consumer technology to be used in a kind of domestic setting, uh, the difficulty is that it takes a while for etiquette to catch up with this. So, I mean, I don't even know if you remember, like when mobile phones first became very, very popular, there was all this tension about where and how and when they were used, you know, uh -huh. on trains. Did you have loud conversations? Did you, you know, when you were in a, if you were having a meal with somebody in a restaurant, you know, people would, would, would pull out their phone and answer any, answer any call because like uh -huh. they were on business, you know, yeah. and eventually people realized this was, as the English say, a bit naff. And it just became a kind of an etiquette no-no. So there's now much more, you know, there isn't that much excitability now about mobile phone use, cell phone use now in, in, in society. It's, it's kind of quietened down a bit. And there is now a kind of a rule of etiquette about it. So and most people know the rules. So most, not all. Not all. Yeah, yeah, not all. But that's, uh, well, it's, it's... Yeah, for me, it, it's fascinating to think about that and how this idea of when technology first comes into our lives, we fight it. And you're yeah. showing us, basically, in this paper, you're breaking down how AI is coming into our life right now, mm -hmm. and we're fighting it because we don't, the majority of us don't have a good grasp on what exactly it does. So I thought you did a great job of breaking down like where we are right now and what everyone thinks that where we are, right? Like for most people who know about machine learning, the idea of singularity is a bit far-fetched because we're just trying to get some kind of algorithm to recommend the right product, and we can't sure. even do that. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but the, there are a lot of people out there that are feeling like, yeah, the singularity, you see very high, highly respected names and these futurists talking about how within five years or 10 years, we're going to have singularity and they're going to be smarter than us. Or like mm -hmm. I, I remember that movie, Her. Mm -hmm. And you get the AI in your ear and then boom, you have a companion for life um, yes. until they get enlightened and <laughs> they say, all right, see you later. I'm done. Yeah. It's the old but, story like, like Pygmalion. It's, it's the old legend, you know, um, uh, and th this goes back to classical antiquity, you know, the, 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 this idea of creating a life and then, you know, the life having its own point of view, its own agency. Um, but the singularity, you know, I use the singularity in a way as a, it's, a, it's a singularity in a way is a kind of a legend in some ways. And, and I specifically outline that certainly in its current configuration or its current conception, in particular machine learning and deep learning, um, I don't see that AI is approaching anything like ever getting to agency. Um, and, and this is because of key differences between the specific nature of human intelligence and machine intelligence. Machine intelligence is, is almost entirely instrumental. So it's like, solve this problem for me, you know? So it's machine intelligence you know, at any human task 
like if, it, if it's a task, it would be very good, like driving, potentially, you know, driving, and you need to reconfigure all of the road, but driving, obviously recommending books and music, it's excellent at that. But where it differs from human intelligence is human intelligence uh, has two kinds of activities, or at least I broke them down into two kinds of activities. And I was really following um, Karl Popper's um, mm-hmm. breakdown of science. And so science coming from the Latin word to know, scio sciere. And so essentially, if we equate intelligence with, with, with this original root word of science, being to know that according to Popper, you know, there were two kinds of knowledge that there was a kind of theoretical knowledge, which in other words, it's a theoretical knowledge is the explanation you have in your head about what the world, about, about what reality is. And so that includes things like religion, but it also includes things like, you know, quantum theory. Or, or, or the theory of relativity. And these are basically framework theories about, you know, what reality consists of. Now, according to Popper, these theories are never right, you know, absolutely true, but they sort of approximate to something and they pass various tests, so they have a certain validity. Then there's another kind of knowledge, which Popper said, which is a kind of, um, basically, a kind of instrumental knowledge or, or a sort of inductive knowledge, uh, well, a knowledge of, of instrumentalism and a knowledge that's based around induction. So basically, you know, you know facts, you know, you know facts like you know the way to the store. You know how to cook spaghetti, um, and um, you know you you, you 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 know how to drive a car. So you have skills, in other words. And so, so computers are great at this second type of knowledge, but computers cannot theorize. They can't conjecture. You know, there's no danger I can see of any kind of AI ever coming up with a new theory of reality. So, for example, if you programmed an AI with everything that you know. Uh, everything you know, all of uh, all of Isaac Newton's knowledge about about um, uh, physics uh, and gravity and so on. Uh, this this AI would never come up with Einstein's theory of relativity because it doesn't have the basic data to do it. And so that's that's the difference. Uh, AI um, human beings theorize and produce biosystems, and, and AI is purely instrumental. It's it's it, it's basically a tool. Um, a super intelligent tool, but it's a tool. And so we have to be careful when we then start invoking AI, when we think about things like ethics or, uh, you know, um, the, the people have written a bunch of papers, you know, a lot of people have written papers about things like, you know, can we get AI to, to address questions that they are of bias in society? The answer is yes, we can, in the sense that it can identify anomalies. But then people are talking about, oh, you know, can we program the AI to be fair? And my view of this is absolutely not, because you 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 know what is fair is going to be it's going to be it's going to be somewhat subjective and it's going to be somewhat contingent on situations. Um, mm-hmm. So if you start empowering AI to make decisions based on your idea of what's fair, in effect you're in danger of actually accelerating the thing you're trying to avoid. <laughs> you're sort of accelerating the singularity mm-hmm. because you're handing AI the power of making decisions over people's welfare. That is just too, you know, it, it, it's just not ready for that. And it, it's probably never will be ready for that. Well, that's something that I explored in uh, another episode with Robbie Stamp. And you may, you may know him or not. And, come, but, yeah, I've come across him, yeah. Yeah, and his, we talked about this idea of the data that we need to be handing over to that should be like obligatory to hand over. For example, if I'm in the hospital and I am getting treated, 
and later on, we, we look at it now as being in the hospital, but later on, maybe wearing a Fitbit for our whole lives since we're a child and or a Neuralink, right? And it has all of the data on us, all of our health data. Should we be obliged to hand that data over or not? And what Robbie made the point of, which I thought was very clever, was he said, you know, imagine if you're driving on the highway and you're driving like a total dick and it's really just, it's pouring rain. You know, the conditions are absolutely horrible for driving out, you know, a little bit more crazy than normal. And you're just doing it because you're having a joy ride, right? And some system comes over the intercom and says, hey, Robbie, if you, you know, this is your first warning, you need to drive more in control. And sure. Robbie doesn't listen. And he gets another warning, like, Robbie, this is it. You know, this is your last warning. If you stop driving, you're good. But if you don't stop, or if you stop driving like a complete ass, then you're good. But if you don't, then we're going to take measures against you. And then, you know, he doesn't because he's just pissed at the world or whatever. And then it comes over the intercom and it says, look, your insurance has been revoked. Anything that happens is is now on you, right? And so that idea of it just made the decision for you. So you speak about that, and I, I find it fascinating, your opinion on that, and I'd love to hear what you have to say. Well, my, yeah, I mean, I, within reason, I think there are kind of closed systems where AI could and probably will work and do interesting things. So, for example, um, you know, if you're driving a car dangerously, now, insurance companies, I think, already offer um, oh, tech, tech, tachometers, I think they're called, and, and they put them in cars. And you can get cheaper insurance if you have this in your car because it's a device that basically, certainly it records, it might even transmit your driving, how you're driving the car. Yeah. Certainly it records it. And it, it can, it can presumably with, with good AI, you know, it can quickly build a profile of, of how you're driving the car because it, it'll use location and it'll use speed and all the rest of it. And, and what method now I can I can I think it's valid for an insurance company to say to you if you agree to put this in you know we will give you a cheaper insurance rate and it kind of incentivizes you to drive more carefully I mean it's, it's a funny way of how we, of how we approach risk you know if you compare for example the response to COVID-19 uh, the number of people who die from COVID-19 is 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 I believe a lot smaller than those who die from car accidents so you know Governments and states in the U.S. have implemented, around the world and states in the U.S. have implemented very draconian anti-COVID policies to protect people. So I can, I can, see, it, I can see an argument that if you're in a car, um, that an AI, I mean, the AI mightn't even, even be connected to anything. You, you can imagine a scenario where you're driving a car and you're driving it very dangerously and the car just shuts down. I mean, I remember having this conversation with somebody about, and it has been thought of by somebody else. But I, I this idea occurred to me, and I don't think it's original, but it occurred to me a couple of years ago. But about aircraft, you know, that that there should be something in an aircraft that if the an AI detects some irregular behavior in the aircraft, like the Malaysian airline aircraft that went off the off the radar and disappeared, and mm -hmm. it was never found a couple of years ago. There should, you know, that there could be something, you could easily design something in the aircraft, even with current technology, that when it detects something irregular, it just kicks in. It just kicks in and finds the nearest airport and lands the plane, regardless, you know, regardless. And I think that's, that's you know, I think for motor cars, for cars, you could imagine something similar in the sense that if you're driving the car very dangerously, 
the thing just shuts down and parks, you know. Um, and that would be now. Of course, you can imagine how it might go wrong. You can imagine scenarios where it was it was you know it, it erroneously it, it, it sort of activated and that caused problems. You know, so sure. But AI doing that kind of stuff, I'm not hugely against. I, I guess what you're alluding to though is is you know data being transmitted in real time to some authority like the police. Yeah, exactly. And then you know. And and if there's, if there's no due process, you know, there needs to be due process. But yeah, I mean, I and, and that's a problem we have at the moment with the world because we live in this in this kind of administrative, administered world. So you know, I I'm at, I was out driving a couple of years ago uh, somewhere near Bristol in England, and um, it was early morning, and I I just made the mistake. I mean, I got confused on on the, on, on on the motorway, and I took a a, a, a an exit from the motorway. That in fact was an exit, which I thought was the exit I needed to get to uh, to get to Bath, the city of Bath, I think it was. And I took the, the this exit, but it wasn't. It was, the, it was just the wrong exit. I, I just misread the sign, and the exit was a kind of a service road that was used by vehicles maintaining the road. And I then managed to go back down the other side and get back onto the road again, so I, I was fine. But I was spotted by a camera, and there was like, you know, here's a fine. You know, pay the fine, and the fine is like, you know, you you pay thirty pounds fine. And if you don't pay in, you know, 25 days, it's 60 pounds. So what are you going to do? You, you just pay the fine, right? You haven't got the time to actually have an argument about this because it's, what's, you know, you, you, you're going to spend about, you know, 500 pounds worth of your time arguing about it. And you have to pay it anyway. So, you know, it kind of automated decisions which are fining you or which are, you know, and the problem with AI, of course, is that states would be tempted to expand these, you know, quite in quite draconian fashion. Yeah. Uh, because you know governments like having power, and uh, that's definitely a danger. But the problem there is not is not the technology. The problem, you know, is the use of the technology. And uh, I mean, a, a key argument in my paper is that you know an algorithm that's unfair. Let's say you know, okay, let, let me start this again. The biggest risk of unfair treatment of people uh, by systems using AI, in my in my view, does not come from AI that is badly designed. AI that is badly designed, as in, you know, it's not doing what it was intended to do or, or they've used bad data, you know, or whatever. Um, so that doesn't represent to me the most part of the risk because that's actually a relatively trivial problem, you know, easily identifiable after the fact. Assuming you live in a fair society with laws of equality, you can easily rectify that and compensation will be paid. The real problem is you have a perfectly functioning AI that's working perfectly as intended, and the government gets this AI, and it then uses it to, you know, to target people. So let me give you an example. I mean, there's an AI system in use in the United States called um, Compass. I was I was just going to ask you about that because yeah. I was going to say, you know, the idea of Minority Report and this whole putting someone's life on the line, that's probably sure. the, the highest stakes that you can play with, right? Yeah. Now, the thing about Compass, Compass basically is, is a predictive system, a system, a system that aims to predict the likelihood of reoffending. And by all accounts, it's reasonably reliable, as in it works, right? As in, you know, you take all these people and you put in all these parameters in, and it's a kind of a risk of reoffending. Now, what it does is it reflects the fact that uh, more... A, a, uh, African-Americans are more highly represented amongst groups who re-offend in the data. So it reflects that fact. 
and it reflects that fact. And it, it's using parameters like, you know, are you in a gang? Are you any of your friends in a gang? You know, your, your previous record, all this kind of stuff. So African-Americans are more, are more highly represented. The system works as intended. What the system does is the system is used by sentencing, for sentencing decisions by judges, in, in, I think in a number of states in the U.S. And so based on your risk of reoffending, you know, they'll send you to jail for longer. And as you know, you know, the United States criminal justice system operates on, on quite a precautionary principle. And the precautionary principle is that the protection of the public against a violent, you know, potentially violent offender is, is, is kind of, it takes priority. And so violent offenders kind of get, get locked away for a relatively long time. Now, you know, whether you think that's a proper use of the system or not is going to depend on your philosophy about criminal justice and law enforcement and so on and so forth. But the exact same system could be used to identify likely reoffenders, and you know, uh, to to then justify uh, lots of social intervention, social spending, you know, all this kind of stuff, uh, which would be, say, let's say, let's say, from a more liberal point of view, it would be about rehabilitation and reform and social reform to prevent reoffending in certain communities. So the same AI could do that too, you know. Um, so the problem isn't the AI. You know, if, if, if you have a problem with, if you have a problem with, 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 um, you know, the, the incarceration rate of, of black Americans being at such a high rate in the United States, you know, there's no point in blaming the AI. It's, 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 it's the policy that you have to talk about, you know, and the, what you think about the policy is going to depend on, you know, where you stand on, on the question of criminal justice and so on and so forth. Um, so my, my worry is that people are kind of looking at the AI saying, oh, you know, the AI is the problem. Now, all that said, uh, sometimes a policymaker will invoke an AI and they will say, oh, yeah, you know, but the AI said it, so it must be true. And, and that, you know, so clearly, if anybody's justifying criminal sentencing policy in the US on the basis that the AI says, says it is a good idea, that's not true. That is, 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 is just not a valid argument. You know, the, the AI is not giving you the reason. It's just a tool. Well, it brings up this idea around when you're when you're looking at these AI systems and you can choose for good or you can choose for how we're doing it now mm. the big question is like you're mentioning like which one are we choosing for and who is the person that is choosing that right sure. and I think that's a that's a very valid point that you're bringing up that the AI itself is not inherently bad, but the way that we're using it may not be the best Maybe. way. And yeah. uh, so one thing that comes to my mind, though, as we are talking about this is the the ideas of DNA testing and how that was all the rage with like proving if someone was guilty or not. And later on, just, you know, more recently, right, in the 80s or whenever DNA testing came out and it was just like, okay, this person did it, we, we have his DNA or her DNA, whatever. And then later on, they find, well, yeah, it's not as reliable as we thought it was, sure. right? And so, but those people, some people potentially have, in, if we're talking in the US, they've been killed, already and then they find out yeah that dna test uh, let's yeah, yeah. not talk about yeah. it. It, it it's a belief in science there is and at the moment i think this is a problem as well um this is my own personal view about about general view of science that there is a belief you know 
governments will say in, 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 with respect to the whole policy in, in response to COVID-19, they say, we are following the science. Now, there's no such thing as the science. You know, there, is, there, are, there are studies that are done by people who think about these things for a living. Um, and then there's the question of governments need to balance, balance the various risks you know, between between uh, you know the, the social impact of lockdown um, on one hand, the the actual danger of the disease on the other hand, and then um, you know the, the 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 sort of mental health side and the and, and the economic side and so on. So someone kind of says, oh well, the scientist says we must do this, but the scientist, you know, you you, you will find reputable scientists who, who who have different opinions on the on the same subject. And when people point to science and they say this is truth. You know, that is not what science is. Science is never, ever truth. Science is just, you know, conjectures which, okay, are subject to studies and tests. And so, therefore, it might be strength, you know, strong or valid. You know, but remember, I mean, the, you know, the program of the Third Reich, which essentially was a program of of uh, sort of uh, a sort of racial a project for, for, for the racial "Quote unquote purification of the world," you know. This was based on the science too, and the mm. science at the time was eugenics and so forth, and it was completely bogus. Um, you know, it, it was it was uh, it was it was basically unfounded, uh, and yet it, it was thought to be scientific. Um, and that's the, you know, and and we should never think that you know because we have a state of the art of the science that somehow. We are living in wiser times. We're not necessarily living in wiser times, you know. Mm. But there are unintended consequences. That's that's you know are, are the are the biggest thing we should consider. It's it's how little we actually really know. It's what we should always have in front of our mind. It's only when we think we know. It's only when we think we really really understand something that we're in danger, you know. Yeah. Because <laughs> invariably we don't, as well as we think. Yeah. Well, this begs the question of who is to blame when you get rogue AI. And you've put all of this, uh, it's not pressure, but it, basically you've put, it's very high stakes AI, we could say. And who is there to blame? Is it the person that designed the system? Is it the person that implemented the system? Is it the policymaker for allowing that to be the go-to? I think there are two sides to this. One is what I call the, the, the sort of ex-ante idea of regulating AI, which is you, you you sort of make sure it works before you implement it. And then there's the ex post regulation of AI, which is let it get implemented and then clean up afterwards, you know, any, any mistakes that are there. Now, clearly in terms of regulation before you implement ex ante for AI, you know, if you're going to have an AI that flies an airplane, then it's got to be working pretty perfectly before you allow it to be installed. Um, so if you imagine the way, I think it's the FAA in the United States uh, regulate uh, aviation technology uh, properly, or or in the case of Boeing seven three seven Max, don't regulate it properly. Yeah. But but you know the idea there is that the system has to be safe before it gets implemented, and that's perfectly reasonable. So when it comes to human safety, like if the AI is being used to drive a train or drive a bus, you know, or or if it's been used in terms of medicine, you know, like a a, a robot that's working on an operation for a patient or something, it's got to be it's got to be right before it gets implemented. You need rules around that. If somebody makes a mistake. In, in, in an algorithm or, you know, in designing the AI um, or that, you know, the, the, the data is bad or, or, or whatever, then clearly there's going to have to be a chain of responsibility. And, you know, liability will get worked out just the way it gets worked out now. You know, if, 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 if you buy a car 
with, with a faulty component that causes you to crash the car, um, there's going to be a chain of liability. And, you know, uh, it, it's going to go back to the manufacturer. You might sue the manufacturer. The manufacturer might sue the component supplier, you know, which is perfectly fine. So, so there is a kind of a, a chain of liability and there are existing regulations around safety whereby, you know, people can be sanctioned for not following good procedure. When it comes to AI and human rights, and this is where my paper differs, I think, from some of the contemporary thinking amongst other people at the moment. I don't think you can regulate ex ante for human rights. Uh, and this is because um, this is because it, knowing when something is fair or not cannot be known in, 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 in a scientific way. Because most of most of the unfairness is going to come, as I say, from the way it's implemented. Now, of course, you know, AI might make mistake. You might make a mistake with an AI. So let's say, for example, you're a lending institution and you you create an AI, and the AI is going to generate, let's say, is is going to read people's curriculum vitae's CVs, uh, resumes, and it's going to then send out letters, uh, you know, for interview. Okay, so let's say it's it, it's looking for it, it's it's assessing candidates for a job, and it 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 writes to a thousand people, you know, or fifty people, calling them for interview for this job or for several jobs. And let's say, for the sake of argument, you know, every single one of these candidates is um, is uh, you know a white American male. Let's say, and we're in the U.S. here, uh, and you know, none of them is black, none of them is Asian, whatever it is, um, and you know, they're all white American males now. You know, uh, as you would look at the data coming back, you'd, you'd kind of be looking at it, saying, "Why? Why is this? Why is it doing this? Why is you know? Why is it doing this?" And it may well be, let's say, for the sake of argument, that there's just a mistake in the algorithm. You know, or and maybe maybe the mistake. I think Google had this problem. You know, where the error was, the AI was correlating certain activities with people who they wanted to hire. So I think they had an issue of bias over men over women. I mean, Google fixed it. You know, as soon as they saw it, they fixed it. So the AI, the AI had an error, and they weren't selecting sufficient female candidates for, I think, some posts. And um, and the error was that there was a correlation taking place within the decision-making system that was essentially correlating um, male candidates with certain things that generally male people do, and you know, women don't do or do less of. About in sports or something like this, or maybe you know, in certain colleges, you went to certain colleges or whatever. So that's a that's the kind of a problem which I think you need to fix, but it's hard to fix in advance because if you insist it gets fixed in advance, you know, you'd be you'd be micromanaging every single step of every single engineer, you know, and 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 I don't I don't think um, I think because there are systems, you know, we have equality legislation, and because we have systems of redress, um, I. I think it's more practical to fix that kind of thing after after the fact. Um, you know, another thing about AI, again, you know, and people talk about equality and so on in AI. And the, the one thing, you know, there is a kind of at the moment, there's a concern that, you know, you should have a diverse team who's writing the AI so that they should be, you know, gender diverse, they should be racially diverse and so on. And then you have this other thing about, you know, so, the, so people like that are going to work on the algorithm and the AI and all that. And that's kind of really cool. And then you get the AI. But I mean, I remember pointing out to somebody, and again, this wasn't original, you know, most of the, uh, and most companies hiring practices are done according to a kind of unwritten heuristic, which is we hire people like us, right? Okay. And, you know, what I want to throw into the mix here is, is 
you know, if you have a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, people who've all been to Stanford uh, or have all been to Harvard or Yale, okay, sure, you know, you, you've got you've got black candidates and white people and Jewish people and Asian people and whatever it is, you know, but like they've all been to Yale. <laughs> so, you know, maybe, you know, maybe the issue around equality and, and social mobility and sort of AI cuts across more than, you know, ethnic and, and gender diversity, you know, that there are class issues as well. And there are class issues and no one talks about those. How do you, you know, how does an AI deal with that? How does an AI solve that problem? I don't think it can um, that easily. I, I think that um, and my worry, I guess, is that is that if people decide their hiring practices are going to be encoded into AIs, they will actually lock out stuff they're not seeing, in, including people from lower, lower socioeconomic backgrounds, you know, who, who may have not gone to the right school but who may in fact be very bright and very smart and who may just require a minimal bit of help coming into the company to really get up to speed. And that I think is a significant issue because I think, I think the biggest issue at the moment in the Western world is, is lack of social mobility, yeah. you know, and that's really very important. Um, so, so yeah, so, so the AI is, the AI is, it's a tool, you know, and inequality can be fixed after the fact, but the scenario I'm, I'm outlining to you about the use of an AI you know, to make sure it's gender and racially diverse. Um, you know, the question is, is it socioeconomically diverse? And 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 it, a lot of the time it isn't. So there you have an example of a bunch of people saying, oh, you know, we now understand the issues of equality and diversity and so on. We're going to solve this problem once and for all by putting it into an AI. But they're missing something huge, which is socioeconomics. Uh, and that's a kind of my suspicion about AI. So... Regulation for safety, yes, absolutely. You know, before you get into that plane, if the AI is going to be fixed, regulation for safety. But everything else, it's much more. It's much more subjective. It's much more political. It's much more nebulous. It's much more difficult. Obvious discrimination you can point out and kill, but it's hard to you know to fix everything mm. because we don't even agree. On what, we don't even agree on what discrimination is. Well, yeah, and that's. Do you feel that there is always going to be like a blind spot in these bias questions? And like yeah, you said, I mean, okay, I, we fix for this, this, and this, but then we forget about yeah. the, this part. Yeah, I, I mean, my paper took aim particularly at a what I call a kind of a maximist view of AI. And the maximist view of AI was that, you know, well, I, I had two versions of AI. One was a kind of minimalist view of regulating AI, which I, which I would hold to, which is that you should do your best to make sure the thing, your AI is not biased. And obviously it has to be safe, but make sure it's not biased before you use it and, and have good procedures for looking at what data you're using, et cetera, et cetera, and how the algorithms are designed and so on. Um, and then fix problems in terms of in terms of fairness after the event and have methods of redress and so on and so forth after the event. But then there's a maximist view of AI. The maximist view of AI says, actually, we can program AIs to be fair. You know, we can program to actually be fair, to make decisions that are fair. This I do not agree with. This, I think, is, is you know, we're, we're in the realm of Frankenstein here, you know, because once you program the AI to be fair, you are essentially outsourcing moral decisions to the AI. And you are going to end up pointing at the AI saying, well, the AI is fair, you know, Um and my worry about that is, and this cuts to the heart of the current moment in politics, I guess, and, and this is why my paper probably is a little controversial, because my, my worry about that is that the AI itself, you know, AI itself was going to become this battleground in, in the culture war. It's going to become this battleground in this very divisive, divided politics we have at the moment. 
in, in you know, especially in the US, to a large extent in the UK, slightly lesser extent in Europe, in, 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 in continental Europe. And that is that you're going to have one side of people who, who want to, to instrumentalize AI to further their idea of what a fair society looks like. Um, and that's, that I think is potentially a huge problem because it isn't really quite clear that, that even the most liberal and conscientious person is ever going to be that fair. Um, you know, or as fair as he or she thinks she is. Um, because it's, it's just too, it's too hard to catch. It's too hard to, you know, it's too hard to, I mean, what you need is, is a healthy skepticism about, about whether any of us can be truly fair. And then you need corrective measures in this. My current hang up at the moment is, my current concern at the moment is, is about socioeconomic fairness, as well as other kinds of fairness, you know, you need to hire people and, and, and value people in terms of, well, you, you know, in terms of their jobs or for roles or positions in society, you know, you want the best people who can do the job. But you need to be very conscious of, of people not being excluded, clearly not, not, uh, not being excluded on grounds of gender or on grounds of ethnicity, but also not excluded because they just went to the wrong school. Uh, and, and I can't see how an, an AI program for fairness can do it, because what it's going to be doing is it's, it's going to be making automatic decisions, you know. You're applying to get into to get into Yale, and you get rejected because the AI rejected you, and the AI rejected you because the AI has a quota, <laughs> you know, of people of your gender, which it's letting in in order for the overall profile to be fair. Well, you know, that means that you were kicked off the, the you know the, the list of potential candidates based on on what a machine felt in order to match a standard, and you, I don't think anybody would feel happy about that. You know, because you, you, you would kind of think, whew, you know, that, that's just a machine, you know. Making well, and in other contexts, it's like you're saying, okay, well, if we give the AI the final say, yeah, and it is what deems things to be fair or not, there's so many different parts of, you know, culture. One culture, things are fair. And another culture, they're very different. And even inside... The U.S. I can think about on the East Coast or the West Coast. There's many different views that people have about what is fair and what is okay to do sure. in business sure. or in society, and what is not. And so, depending on all of that, when an algorithm that has been coded by, let's say that they've been coded by a diverse group, how can you take into account all of these minor details? That coming from, uh, just think about someone, imagine uh, someone coming from the Middle East with some kind of cultural views and an algorithm that was created by someone that is from the East Coast. And you don't get the... The disconnect is so large in in my mind. So I can see your point on that. What I wanted to ask about, though, is how about when it comes to malicious activity, is that just the soul? Is it the fault of the person who's programming or the person who is um, implementing? Well, I think, I think the liability, you know, I think in a way, the way we deal with malicious activity and an AI, it's going to be the same as any other kind of malicious activity. So, you know, so let's say, let's say, you know, you and I are working in a company and we're, and we're in the kind of HR department. Now, you know, we could maliciously, enter the names of all the candidates for the jobs we're hiring for 
you know, forget about an AI. We could just put it into in, we could put it into Google Sheets or Excel, and you know, we could have columns that say, you know, white male on top, and we could just you know click everybody, put an X after everybody who's white male, and just do a kind of a sort and find all the white males. Let's offer, let's let's write all these guys. So that would be just as malicious as if we were using a you know a three hundred thousand dollar AI program to do essentially the same thing. And so the liability would fall on us as executives and it would fall on the company for lack of oversight. And, and, and you know, if they were going to get fined for discrimination, discriminatory behavior, then, you know, that would be the responsibility of the directors. Now, if we used an AI and there was an AI programmer who had done this, then um, I'm not sure what kind of liability would arise if it was a question of equality issues. My instinct is, you know, such a person would never work again, <laughs> you know, in that, in that business. Uh, and that you know that ought to be enough. Well, don't um, you feel it's a lot easier to make an excuse if I'm doing it maliciously, and then it comes back and I get found out, and I say, "Well, that was just the data. Like I made a, it was a bug in my programming." Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, there are you know there are cases where you mightn't know, you mightn't be sure. So this is why this is why you know this is why we need systems. Which are you know robust beforehand in terms of so for example if you're a company you know if you're if you're uh, a bank you know and you're hiring and you're 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 you're, you're buying an AI system to help your hiring practices and you and you buy it from you know a very large company that is an AI producer you know like a global company that's a technology AI producer um, you know the system might be mistaken. Or you know, okay, maybe the department that that sold you the AI within this company was as rogue, and they were run by some lunatic who 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 you know who basically, you know, who said, oh, you you can never hire anybody who's who's a Muslim or whatever. Um, then, you know, the same liability is going to apply. You know, so so you, you will be able to sue this company. Uh, you will be able to get compensation. The person inside will get fired if if. You know, if the company at the most senior level was found to be engaging in this practice, you know, you, you've got like shareholder blowback, you've got, you've got, you know, trade sanctions. There are all sorts of existing sanctions that, you know, that, that will be applied. But liability in AI, it's going to be, you know, it's going to have a particular, a particular profile, of course, because you've got, you know, the areas where it can go wrong, like it can go wrong in the data or it can go wrong in the algorithm. But these are all not, not categorically different concepts than you know the guy who makes your farm machinery the company who makes your farm machinery you know and if a component in the farm machinery you know something goes wrong with it and it hurts somebody i mean essentially the same principles apply it's, it's just you, yeah, you, 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 you have standards of, of of manufacture and development and review and and, and redress and and you know you find people necessary and so on okay so let's talk a bit about what is happening with the eu and in your paper you outline the EU's regulations, and I thought it was interesting how you you talked about the proposal that the EU is saying that human rights equals safety. Yeah, and so my, yeah, let's yeah let's dive into that a little bit more. This is my problem with the EU. What the EU was doing in the, in the white paper was it was it was it wanted to regulate essentially for human rights as if human rights were safety, which meant it wanted to implement ex ante. You know, before implementation rules, before you were allowed to use AIs that might affect people's rights, 
And I think, and I thought this was overkill because I think that you just can't do it. It's just not possible to do it because, you know, as, as I say, you know, the AI might be, might work perfectly well, you know, might be perfectly fair, but you take it and you use it in a different context. So, you know, I might have an AI, for example, you know, I might have an AI that, um, that, uh, I, yeah, I mean, the compass thing is a good example, but, you know, I might have an AI that, let's say, um, identifies people who who could develop let's say uh long-term injury at work if they have a certain profile i'm doing a certain kind of job well you know you might do that that ai in order to implement measures to prevent long-term injury at work so we're going to identify people you know and we're going to have special measures to you know for their posture or special measures you know to, to kind of monitor them from a health point of view so they don't suffer from these injuries on the other hand, another company might buy this and it might run candidates through the profile um, and just say, we're not going to hire these people in the first place because they have long-term injury potential and it's going to cost us money. So they can redline, they can use it to redline. Once you have an AI that, that can identify people who could be vulnerable, you have an AI that could redline people and keep them out of work and keep them out of jobs. So that's something we have to be aware of. Insurance companies, you, know, you have the same issue where, you know, insurance companies if they're using AI to really finely tune risk and knowledge about risk, on one level, this is very important information, you know, because it's, it means that we, you know, as a society, we, we can more effectively make provision for problems that are caused because we know really where the risk is now rather than it being a mystery. On the other hand, the, the principle of insurance is based on pooling of risk. And so this gives you the opportunity to redline and say, well, you know, all these people, they have all these kind of risks, so we're not going to insure them because it's not profitable. And and um, that it creates that kind of a problem. So um, is your opinion then of it's not the AI we need to regulate; it's the use of the AI that we need to regulate, or do you feel that there's yeah? And, and I think it, it, I mean, in fairness to the EU, I mean, the EU completely gets that. But I think the problem with the EU, the EU proposals, was that they they seem to be focusing on the technology itself as the source of the danger. And really, what they have to say, I mean, it's a comment I once made some years ago to to uh, a financial regulator in, 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 in Ireland. And I was talking about banking regulation or insurance regulation. And I said, you know, they had all these very detailed micromanaging rules about how insurance companies deal with customers and all this kind of stuff, right? And I kind of said, you know, you, you could just say to the insurance companies, um, like, here are the things that we think are unfair in terms of outcome. And um, if this happens to a customer of yours, and we are certain it's happened and you did it, then we're going to fine you such an enormous amount of money uh, that you will never do it again. However, in terms of how you avoid doing this, we don't care. It's your problem, right? It's your problem. You figure it out, right? So, so in a way, that I think might be the approach with AI. You just sort of say, well, look, you know, we know what an we, 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 we know what an unfair outcome looks like. We know what an unfair outcome an unfair outcome looks like. It looks like the following, and these findings can be made based on equality legislation that's already in place or GDPR data protection legislation that's already in place. Um, so, you know, if you if you breach that, we're going to, you know, we're going to fine you and make you pay compensation. So figure out how to avoid that. Now, I don't apply that to safety. In the case of safety, you need an FAA type arrangement. You can't leave that to, you know, because safety is very easy to define. You know, you know when something, you know, a mistake that goes wrong in an AI that causes injury, any reasonable person will say, well, the AI stopped functioning and therefore it thing, right? But in, in essence, what we're talking about in terms of AI inequality 
is that the AI might, might be working perfectly well, but the, the way it's mm-hmm. being used, yeah. you know, might be wrong. So all they have to simply say to, I think, AI producers and users is, look, we know what an unfair treatment looks like, and we have laws about that. You know, how you commit the crime is is of limited interest to us. I mean, I'm being slightly facetious here, but you know, how you, how you commit the crime is being of limited, limited interest to us. Just we know when you committed it, and so will you, and therefore we will sanction you. Uh, from doing it. And, and I, I'm not saying they should take that view completely, but I think they should. They, I mean, if they think they can micro-regulate AI for fairness, I think that's an illusion. You know, it's, it's a big mistake. I suspect they know it's a mistake because I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, that's a valid point. And I understand where you're coming from completely. I think it is very important to look at that side of things and not always blame it on the technology. It's it's a little unfair yeah. to say that it's the technology that's doing it when everything it was written by the humans it was implemented by the humans and now it's, it's actually more than unfair though it's actually dangerous because because you're, you're right it's unfair in the sense that it sidesteps the issue okay the mm-hmm. issue the issue might be in your institution uh, but it's also dangerous because it encourages a kind of corollary view which is that if the AI can do all this harm well maybe you can do lots of good too. And so it, uh-huh. it, 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 it encourages this other kind of positivist view that we can use the AI to make society a fairer place. And that, I think, is I, I point out to that, that that being a very, very dangerous idea. You know, very, very valid. Yeah, yeah, that is a great insight. Now, I have one last question for you and we'll wrap it up. I want sure. to know, are you a robot? <laughs> no, I'm. I'm. I. I uh, there's actually a piece in my paper about the Searle, Searle versus Dennett debate uh, and the Chinese Room debate, John Searle and Dennett, and and I, I slightly think that Searle makes a bad argument. Um, sorry, I, I agree with Searle, but he doesn't. He doesn't present his case, I think, as well as he might, and I disagree with Dennett. And if I can recall the basic argument, um, no, I don't think we're robots. Not because I believe in some kind of Cartesian ineffable. So I think we're not robots because we have the capacity to hypothesize and to invent frameworks that explain reality that are kind of, you know, that, that are creative and have to do with our creative faculties um, as much as our scientific reasoning faculties. And robots don't do that. Uh, robots are, are instruments and we are more than instruments. We are instruments, but we are also people who who make myths and, 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 and make frameworks of explanation. Yeah, robots don't do that. And in your opinion, robots will never do that. Is... I don't see it. N- not under current, you know, current design conceptions. No, because I, I, what we've seen so far about robots is that they, they are... Um, an AI will always use... It's, it's using data it already has using the framework it already has and it might produce a, a fantastic move like like AlphaGo that 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 wins a game um and we don't know how it did it but it might be a good move you know but um uh i don't see under current configuration that ai will ever do that brilliant paul this has been amazing I really enjoy hearing your views and hearing how you are attacking this problem and I feel like this is, I told you at the beginning, but we weren't recording yet. It has been a dream of mine to meet someone that works at a think tank 
And finally, now I can die happy. It is incredible to get to speak with you. And it's obvious that you're putting a lot of thought and attention onto these current problems. They're, they're top of mind for a lot of us. So, well, it's I been a great pleasure. And, and thank you very much. It's been yeah. a great pleasure. Well, excellent. I think that, it, that will wrap up this version of Are You Robot podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see you next time. Fantastic. All right. <laughs>